0: Breaking news: uh, The president uh, just had an affair. Check your Twitter. Check it right now. I'm kidding. You guys are t- you, guys <laughs> you guys are easy. First service, they were like, "Shut up." But here, let's play. Let's play a little game, right? Put yourself here. President had an affair. President had an affair, right? And so now Twitter is going pretty wild, and so is Facebook, and everybody's wondering what is going on, and all the the news channels are are talking about it, and all of a sudden, Fox News gets a breaking story. Not only did the president have an affair, but now the woman that the president had an affair with is pregnant, and Fox News is giddy. (laughs) They're like, we told you so. And now forget it. Talking heads are talking, and their heads are falling off, and like, you, you know, Colbert and, and Stewart are speechless for the first time ever, and, and everybody's talking about this. Twitter has, has it ceased to exist now. That's how crazy it is. And, and then more comes out that the woman that the president had an affair with uh, was married, and she was married to someone who was a high-ranking military officer, and that officer died under really suspicious circumstances a couple months ago in Afghanistan. Oh, my goodness. The world as we know it has gone like, it's done. CNN broke that news. That doesn't sound right, does it? <laughs> they don't break news anymore. <laughs> but anyway, and then all of a sudden, the president comes out, and the president has this, has this uh, press conference, and he does it without any speechwriters, without any of his aides, without any of his staff, without any PR people, with nobody has this press conference, and it gets picked up by every major channel, everything, every, everybody, even Cartoon Network has it, okay? <laughs> like everybody, and, and the president comes out, and the president goes, you've heard rumors that I've had an affair. It's true, I have. And you've heard rumors that the woman that I had uh, an affair with is pregnant, and it's true, she is. You've even heard rumors that her husband has died under some very, suspicious circumstances. And the truth of the matter is, he did die that way. In fact, I set it up so that he would go into battle and the rest of his soldiers would pull back and he would die. You know why I did it? Because I am drunk with power. I am selfish. And long before I was the president, long before, I was also drunk with power and selfish. And you know what the president did? Started singing. Started singing, seriously. Ooh, child, things are going to get easier. Ooh, child, things will get brighter. I'm done. I'm just going to go up right now. You're never going to hear me sing better than that, people. That's what the president did. And the president walked away. Scene. You got that? Everybody got it? That's what happened 3,000 years ago with King David. That exact thing that I just took you through is exactly what happened 3,000 years ago with King David. Everybody got that? King David was the leader of Israel, saw a woman bathing named Bathsheba, said, I'm the king, I can go ahead and take that woman if I want to, took her, got her pregnant. Her husband was Uriah the Hittite, who was a general in the army or a general in in the military, And, and David put him on the front line so that he would die, so that he could cover up the fact that he got his wife pregnant. That all happened. And then David comes out and tells everybody in the world, I have messed up. I have sinned. And that's where we get Psalm 51. That is Psalm 51 right there. This is David's press conference. This is David coming out and saying, I screwed up. And the beauty of Psalm 51, it's 19 verses. We only showed six today, but you got to go back and read it because from about verse 12 to 19, David just starts singing. (laughs) Just starts singing. And so I'm really glad that Facebook and Twitter weren't around at the time of David. I really am, because we'd get a completely different story that was type first, think later. But instead, we get this psalm. We get Psalm 51. And what is Psalm 51? Well, Psalm 51 tells us what we need to know about sin and about confession. So guess what we're going to talk about today? Sin and confession. You guys are glad you showed up in the summertime. We're going to talk about sin and confession. What do you guys think of when you think of sin? Where are my Catholics? <laughs> All right, Catholics. You guys sat in a box, didn't you? <laughs> sat in a box. Forgive me, Father. And you can barely see his face. Forgive me, Father. I hit my sister, stole beers out of my dad's fridge, <laughs> cursed a few times, right? That's what you did, right? You sa- and then, you know, the guy on the other end was like, oh, okay, well, you know, do this. And, and you felt much better, right? Probably not. <laughs> Probably not. Hey, where are my people who grew up Christian? Where are you? Who went, to, who went to the Billy Graham Crusades? Who went there? Who went to the Billy Graham? A few of us. Billy Graham was this, like, dude who, like, preached these powerful messages, and at the end, everybody would come up. And I was talking about this with my wife, Juby, before. And she was like, I went to a lot of Billy Graham Crusades, and I would rededicate my life at every single one. <laughs> and I said, why? And she goes, just in case. <laughs> <laughs> That's what we do with sin, right? Right? We grew up thinking that God's really mad at us. We better rededicate our life one more time just in case. But here's the thing with sin, right? If I say the word sin, there are 75 people in this room and you are thinking 75 different things about what this means, what this entails, and how it affects your life. And here's what I can say. I can say that, that those sins that we had talked about just a second ago, that, you know, the funny things we did, it might not affect us that way anymore, but sin does affect our lives. And so we're going to talk about how the way that we will grow, the way that we will grow as people, the way that we will grow in our relationships, the way that we will grow this world is by acknowledging the fact that we are sinners and acknowledging the fact that we need to confess those sins. And I'm looking at your faces and I see thought bubbles and all you are like, I wonder how quickly and quietly I can pull out my phone to check Instagram. (laughs) This is not going to be comfortable. But it's going to help us to grow. It's going to get us to this place. And the way that we're going to do that is by checking out David's sin and confession. That's what we're going to check out, his sin and confession, and talk to us about how it can inform our lives. And so here's what I want to say. Most of us can probably not relate to David. We probably can't relate to the fact that David dropped an absolute bomb on his life that changed not only his life and changed the lives of other people around him, okay? Now, most of us, I said, there are some of us here who probably can relate to that. Some of us have dropped bombs on our lives that has changed our lives and that has changed the lives of people around us. And if that's the case and you can identify with David's sin, you're in the right spot in a really, really good spot right now because it's never too late to repair what's happened. It's never too late. Here's the other thing though. My guess is that more of us, not all of us, but more of us probably haven't dropped that bomb in our lives. Right now, we have these little eruptions, right? These little tiny eruptions that come up and they they show uh, us our weaknesses, but you know what? They're fixable. We can fix them. And you know what else? When we think of sin, we don't think of sin the way we used to when we were younger. We don't sit there and think that if we curse or if we steal a couple beers from our dad's fridge or if we, um, you know, hit our sisters that we're going to go to hell. We don't necessarily believe that God is mad at us any longer for doing those little things. Okay? So what is sin? What does it mean? Well, we have to first talk about moving forward and redefining what sin actually is. Okay? Okay? And I think we get a lot of great clues from David. In the time of David, uh, he's operating under the Jewish law. We talk about the Jewish law often here at our church. There were 613 laws. And for sin, okay, sin was you not following those laws. You follow the laws, God loves you. You don't follow the laws, you're sinning. Okay? It was a pretty clear cut and dry thing. This is not bad. Okay? This is a starting place. In fact, Paul in Galatians 3 says, you know what? The law was your nursemaid. Okay? That's a great thing. The law is sort of getting you started. It's giving you what you need to, to create a base. And then Paul in uh, Romans chapter 3, he says you know, there's true value in the law. So there's value in this idea of you do this, you're good. You don't do this, you're not so good. You're, you're sinning, right? It gives us a baseline, a boundary. So um, you know, I try hard not to use my kids as illustrations, but it's just so easy. So I'm going to go ahead and do it. You know, when, when my kids... Um, You know, when they were really young and they could articulate uh, what they wanted, they would often say, we want candy. And me and my wife would say, you can't have candy. And they would say, why? Because it's bad for you. Okay, you can't have candy because candy's bad for you. And you might get a couple complaints, but that's it. We're done. It's over. You can't have it. It's bad for you. And we were the best parents ever, and we still are. (laughs) (laughs) That's a lie. Um... (laughs) But anyway, I think that's how some of us grew up, and that's the way some of us thought about sin, okay? If we we don't want to curse, we don't want to do this, we don't want to do that. Well, why? Well, because it's bad for us. God doesn't like it, and it says it in the Bible. And we all went, okay, that's fine. And then we changed, right? Then we grew. Then we were able to think abstractly. That's what we were able to do all of a sudden. And uh, this is, you know, shown by my five-year-old daughter. My five-year-old daughter... (laughs) I'm hanging out with her the other day, and uh, we're talking. And all of a sudden, she just makes a beeline over to like ten feet away from where I am. Just makes a beeline and has her back turned to me. And I go, "Lila, come back to daddy." Nothing. She won't turn around. I see her back. That's all I see. I go, "Lila, come back." Nothing. Won't turn around. Nothing at all. Then I realize I left M&Ms on the end table that's where she ran. She ran over to grab the M&M's. So uh, she's not turning around because she's chewing the M&M's right now. That's what she's doing. And I re- realized it. And so I go, Lila, are you eating M&M's? And she turns around. You can still see her chewing a little bit. And she goes, I am. But I only ate one. And Daddy, you told me M&M's are bad for me. But Daddy, one m M&M and M is not bad for me. And I said, who are you? <laughs> Look at you, kid. That's pretty smart. <laughs> you are sharp. Because she's right. You know, I told her, don't do this. It's bad for you. And she's saying, well, I can do this because it's not bad for me. One M&M is not bad for me. She's right. So as we begin to think a little bit more abstract uh, or abstractly or whatever it is, um, what happens is that we're able now to manipulate the law. We're able to be strategic about the law. We're able to think differently about the law. And this is a dangerous thing, because I think most of us fail to get out of this sort of stage in life. We stay in this place of of manipulation and of being strategic when it comes to the law. All right, so for instance, uh, one of my favorite authors, this guy named Richard Rohr, says that we have two selves. We have our ego self. And we have our shadow self. And our ego self says, yeah, I see the law and I see it here, but I'm going to do whatever is best for me. I fully believe that our egos are these biological and evolutionary things that, that preserve our species and advance our species. They say, this is what's happening over here, and I can move it around and I can manipulate it and I can change it. And our shadow selves are the thing that's really going on with us. It's a thing that's really at our root. It's at our core. But when we talk about sin, we don't want to deal with, that, with what's at our root, at our core. We want to deal with the behavior. I call this kind of sin selfie sin, okay? I'll explain. I'm a short man. That's okay. I've uh, come to grips with it. Uh, I also will house a few bags of chips, and when I do that, I get the fat face. You guys get the fat face? I do. Um, and I want to take a picture, and I want to post it to Facebook, Um, But, you know, I don't want people to think I'm short, and I don't want to show people my fat face. So what somebody told me is if I, you know, look down just a little bit, you know, when you take the picture, like, it takes, makes your face look thinner. That's why all my pictures I'm like. (laughs) Right? (laughs) So, um, (laughs) and (laughs) and then what else happens? Well, then I stand next to something that's shorter. Because if I stand next to something that's shorter, I look taller. So I take a picture of myself, and I post it to Facebook, and voila, I am three inches taller, and I'm 10 pounds lighter, and there I am. That is me on Facebook. I'm right there. I have 63 likes, and everything is going really well. But is it really me? Am I projecting my true self? Or am I projecting a self that I want to show people, or that I've manipulated, or that I've been strategic about? It's me. But is it really me? This is the area of sin that I think we get stuck in. We say, well, you know, listen, the law said this, but I don't believe in the law anymore. I manipulate the law now. And so, you know what? I don't curse. I don't do that. I don't steal beers out of my dad's fridge. I'm sexually pure. Great. You follow the law. Wonderful. But what's really going on? What's at your root? What is really happening there? Why are you following the law that way? Is it because it's best for your life, or are you doing it because maybe you have a giant pride issue? Are you doing it because you're afraid that something's going to happen if you break that law? Are you doing it because you want to put forward your best self, your ego self? What's really going on on your shadow side? On the contrary. On the contrary. Hey, you know what? uh, The the idea of sex is really, really vague in Scripture. It's really, really vague. So really, it, I, I can do whatever I want uh, in terms of sex, and that's fine. And you know what? You might be right. You might be right because sex is kind of vague in Scripture. And so, you know, you can you make assumptions or manipulate or whatever. And And, and, and you know what? You can make a giant power play, okay, and step over people, and you can get a lot of money, and you could say the fact that I made that power play and earned a ton of money and did this is okay because the Bible's not very, uh, it doesn't say a whole lot about capitalism. Capitalism's not a terrible thing, and making money's not a terrible thing. That's okay. And, And so really, I'm not sinning here, and you know what? You might be right. You might be right. I've had my 11th beer. I just cracked it open. Scripture doesn't say anything about the fact uh, that I can't have 11 beers. It just says don't get drunk. And so I have a high tolerance. And Jesus turned water into wine, so I'm cracking open my 11th beer. And that might be okay. It might be okay. Because we can manipulate, decide what we want to do. And many of us in our Christian faith never get out of this ego versus shadow self. We never get out of this manipulation self. We never leave it. David was the king, okay? Let's go culturally to what David was doing. David took a woman for himself. You know what? Kings in that day took women for themselves all of the time. Not only did they take women for themselves all of the time, God blessed kings who took women for themselves all the time. God blessed kings who had hundreds of concubines. So really, culturally speaking, what David did is actually pretty appropriate. It's okay. It's not against the law. And you know what, uh, um, you know, when you see something that you like as a king, you're allowed to exert your power. And if you want to exert your power, you're allowed to take what you think you deserve. And in fact, there were kings that God blessed who did similar things. So really, if David sees a woman Bathsheba bathing, well, of course he can use his power to do that because kings are allowed to do that, Right? And if Uriah dies, okay, he dies. He's a general. He's supposed to be on the first line. He's supposed to be there. And, and it, it's, who am I to say? Okay, I, maybe he does die regardless of whether I put him there or not. He's just doing his job. This is what we can do all the time. We can manipulate the law. God doesn't care about our moral purity. God doesn't care about our good habits. God doesn't care about our legalism. God does not care about it. God cares about the thing that makes David confess. God cares about the sin that makes David confess. So now we have to redefine sin. Now we have to look at sin differently. What is sin? David gives us a giant clue in his confession. It says, Lord, 51-1, right away, boom. Lord, have mercy on me according to your unfailing love. Lord, have mercy on me according to your unfailing love. This is where scripture just blows it. Because the translation, unfailing love, unfailing love doesn't even come close to what David really meant. Okay, let's break apart unfailing love, okay? And I got permission from somebody who is Jewish, and I think I'm saying it the right way. But unfailing love in the Hebrew is chesed. Got it? Everybody got it? You like that, I figured it out. Uh, so that's what it means, it means chesed, said. okay? So that's how, how and, and this word does not mean unfailing love. This word goes deeper and, and bigger than unfailing love. This word means that there is an infinite God, and this infinite, infinite God, this God that is bound to no rules and no laws, this God that is bound to nothing, this God that is the ground of all being, decides that this God is going to bind God's self to one thing and one thing only, us. This is what chesed means. It means the infinite, amazing, ground of all being God who has to to not be bound to any law says, I bind myself to my creation. I bind myself to my people. I love my people and that love can never be broken, ever. I bind myself to it. That's the one law I bind myself to. And because of that, All I want for my people is peace. That is it. So now that I bind myself to them, all I want for them is peace. That's what chesed is. That's what unfailing love is. It's a God who says, I'm infinite. I'm bigger than anything else out there that we can even think of. But I bind myself to us, to me, to you. So David knows this. And so what David confesses, he confesses, he goes, God, it's not about the law. It's not about the actions. It's not about my behavior. It's about me not acknowledging chesed. It's about me not acknowledging the fact that you have bound yourself to me, and I don't necessarily want it. You've bound yourself to me, and you want nothing but peace from me, and I've done nothing but disturb that peace. So that's what sin is. Sin is a disturbance of chesed. It's a disturbance of the peace that God wants for us. God binds himself to us, and we say, eh, you know what? I'm finite, and I'm smaller, uh, and and I don't understand your infinite ways, but really what I think is going to happen is better. If we were to rewrite this psalm that that, that David said, we might might say this, um, and I have to find it, and I can't find it. Anyway, we might say something to this effect. You might say, Lord, uh, have mercy on me because you've, bond, you've bound yourself to me and you love me in ways that I can't even imagine. And this is up on the screen, great, I'm gonna read it. And it says, uh, you choose to love me no matter what and I do not represent that. I'm not bringing peace, I'm not acknowledging this love. I love myself more even though I am finite, small, and not capable of the same love that you are. And you can see I'm not doing this justice, but this said word means everything. And it changes everything. And what it does and what David knows is confession of this kind of sin, of a sin that, that disrupts the peace and harmony that God intends, is not for God. It's not for God. It's not so God could say, David... I'm so glad you said that because I had a special place in hell for you if you didn't. (laughs) It's not that at all. This is so that God says, good, You're, you're recentering yourself around my unfailing love. You're recentering yourself to know that I want nothing but peace for you and now that you've confessed that, now I get to use you to bring that peace. Now I get to use you to bring peace to this world. And so it changes things for us too. Now sin is not about some law that we can change and so w- that we can manipulate. So, so we might say, you know what? Um, yeah, sexuality is vague in scripture and, uh, you know, I, I've treated my sex life very loosely. Uh, but now instead of saying, but because sexuality is vague in scripture, I can do that. Instead we say, well, is my, are my actions, are they bringing peace to God's world? Sort of reframes it. I've cracked open my 11th beer, and yeah, you know, Scripture says this, and I can manipulate that, but by me cracking open my 11th beer, am I bringing peace to this world? Am I bringing the peace that God intends? Yeah, I made a power play, and, uh, you know, I make money, and capitalism is okay. Those things are okay, but did my power play make peace or bring the peace that God intended to this world? So we're reframing the way we look at sin. And that's an answer that we have, and that's an answer that the Spirit moves and convicts and does things to us with. So now, what we have to do is we have to be honest. We have to stop messing with our ego side, and we have to get to the point of what our shadow side actually looks like. There's this guy, Brendan Manning. Anybody ever hear of Brendan Manning before? He's a great writer. This guy, Brendan Manning, grew up, or was born in 1930s in New York City. And, um, just an amazing man. He, he grows up, he uh, goes into the military, fights a war, comes out, and decides he's going to join this Franciscan Order of Monks and takes a vow of poverty and then just starts helping thousands of people in New York City. Just thousands of them. Um, in fact, he's taken such a vow of poverty that he goes and he meets everybody on a donkey. He rides a donkey around New York City. You guys ever tried that before? <laughs> just thought I'd ask. And he's going around, he's helping thousands of people. Brendan Manning voluntarily went to prison for six months just so he can identify with oppressed people and with oppressors. Brendan Manning lived in a cave for six months just so he could identify with the psalmists who are writing these life and death situations every day. This is what Brendan Manning did. Brendan Manning changed the lives of thousands upon thousands of people and Brendan Manning was a violent alcoholic. Violent. This is what he says. When I get honest, I admit I am a bundle of paradoxes. I believe and I doubt. I hope and I get discouraged. I love and I hate. I feel bad about feeling good. I feel guilty about not feeling guilty. I am trusting and suspicious. I am honest and I still play games. Aristotle said I'm a rational animal. I say I'm an angel with an incredible capacity for beer. To live by grace means to acknowledge my whole life story, the light side and the dark. In admitting the shadow side, I learn who I am and what God's grace means. And as Thomas Merton put it, a saint is not someone who is good, but someone who experiences the goodness of God. That's a confession. I wish I could confess like that. But it gets us to a place of honesty, right? I love what Manning says. You're at your core. What are you? And I have to imagine that when God had heard that and when God continued to hear that, because Manning never did get get control over his alcoholism, that God said, you know what? With each one of those confessions, I get to use you a little bit more to bring peace. So let's be honest. What parts of us do we need to confess? What parts of us do we need to say, you know what? I am not bringing peace to this world. I'm not doing it. What parts of us? And here's what else we have to know. That in spite of those parts of us, in spite of those parts of us, God God says your name is not sin anymore. Your name's not sin. Your name is not your sin because of this chesed, right? God says, I want to show people what this chesed is. And so what I'm going to do is I'm going to bring Jesus Christ down. And Jesus Christ is the epitome of chesed. It's, it's the love that never fails, and it's, it, it's the peace that I intend. And it's all here through Jesus Christ. And now because of Jesus Christ, now because of it, sin is no longer your name. I like what Brendan Manning says. He says, we're now angels. That's fun. I like that. We're angels. So what kind of angel are we now? Are you like Brendan Manning, an angel with a penchant for alcohol? You, an angel that struggles with illicit pornography? You, an angel that loves gossip and slander? Are you an angel that is drunk with power? How are you bringing a disturbance? And better yet, how's God going to use you through the disturbance once you just say, you know what? I'm not getting it. Finite, sin is not your first name anymore. You are divine, and so if you're divine, the next question that I have to ask you is: is who do we else do we need to confess to? Lance Schaubert. Some of you guys know him. He just moved here. He said something that I thought was great. He posted it in an email that he wrote to all of you that somehow had my name on the bottom of it. That was really cool. But anyway, <laughs> um, he said this. He said nothing has started in Christianity. No transformation. No revitalization. No great awakening. Without a confession. None of that has started without a confession. And he also said that, you know, when you think about your greatest small groups, think about your greatest small group. Think about your best friends. Think about the people that changed your life. Why do they do that? Is because you have laid your soul bare to them. It's because they don't know just your ego side. They know your shadow self. They know the worst parts of you. And then all of a sudden, there's this crazy peace and good things that happen because you're willing to confess to them. So let me ask you who do you need to confess to? Who do you need to tell? Hey, I'm not bringing peace to this relationship, this situation. And then God uses it. David, guy was a mess. Go and read his story, 1 and 2 Samuel. Go read it in Scripture. It's it's better than a movie. You're going to be mesmerized. When you read it, you see that David never gets a handle on his sin, ever. Just just life was really hard for David for the rest of it. And yet, what do we hear all the time? David was a man after God's own heart. What? What about this situation? Well, you know what Jesus, the epitome, the epitome has said, Jesus comes through the line of David, his ancestral line. So it starts with David. You know who was after David? It was Solomon. Why is that such a big deal? Because Solomon was the surviving son of David and Bathsheba. The surviving son of this illicit affair, the surviving son of, of murder, the surviving son of oppression, the surviving son of someone drunk with power. And God says, Your sin is not your name because I take what's weak and I bring victory to it. God is using us and using our sin and the fact that we keep trying to interrupt peace. And God says, you know, every time you say to me, I don't get it, I'm just going to bring peace. I'm just going to do it. So where does that leave us? Rob Bell says this, peace. It's been made with God through the cross. And you have been restored, redeemed, reconciled, and renewed. And we are invited to live as if this is actually true letting it shape us and mold us and transform us into grounded, centered people who increase the shalom, God's peace in this world. Pray with me. God, um, listen, we keep trying to um, disrupt the peace that you're trying to bring to us. And God, we say, hey, we're thankful for your love, and um, and then we're not, and we're just not. And we say, I love myself more. God, we're thankful that you have bound yourself to us in the midst of our mess. We're thankful for the cross that shows the true chesed. Lord, show us how you're going to use us next to bring this peace and allow our true confession to be on our lips.